this is Linda Ramone, and yep, you're listening to The Dummy Room. Gabba Gabba Hey! This is the big time, girly. This is rock and roll. Hey everybody, you're in the dummy room. I'm Jody Have Not, joined as always by he who cannot be Nate Demel. What's up, Jody? What's up, Nate? How you doing? Not much, man. I'm uh, I'm super excited about tonight. Yeah, dude. Black's coming back on. It was great the first time, and it'll be even better this time, I have a feeling. Yeah, his uh, the Blag return, the return of Blag, I should say. Um, yeah, I've been pretty excited, man. We've been on this fucking stretch lately. Yeah, we have. We've had uh, fucking Legends after legends and then we had like my favorite songwriter ever not ever but one of them yeah. uh, marine nicotine of course and now uh, another legend <laughs> it's crazy man but yeah i'm digging this <laughs> you know? yeah and uh, and we've got more coming so we're taking advantage of the quarantine exactly i was gonna say i think <laughs> people being stuck at home with nothing to do has really been advantageous to us yes um but yeah man what's going on oh man same old stuff dude how about you? So I was at the grocery store. Yeah. And, um, did you get lost in the coffee aisle again or what? No, it wasn't too bad. I actually did struggle to find the same shit that I bought last time. <laughs> it was it was tough. But yeah, I was only there for like two hours. So it wasn't too bad. But um, it, it was kind of fun because earlier, like a day, a couple days ago maybe, Dan, Dan Vapit made a post about all these bands that are named after foods. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, yeah. So it... I couldn't really think of any, like, I didn't comment on it, but um, I'm walking around the grocery store, and that's all I could think about, man. The whole fucking two <laughs> hours, everything I'm seeing, I'm like, you know, seeing it, I'm going, oh, yeah, there's one. and Right. But I, I didn't comment at all. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of bands named after food. Yeah. Totally. Usually it sounds pretty cool, too, you know? <laughs> What's your favorite? What do you think is the best? Like the Lemonheads or? Uh, the Lemonheads is a, is a great name. You mean the, the best name or the best band? A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Um, well, I really like the band name uh, The Banana Erectors. I like that too. Japanese band. Banana um, Splits and they... is cooler than that though, as far as banana bands. I don't know. You, you think so? Yes. Bana- Bananarama. That might be better than all of them. Mm, maybe. Bananarama always to me sounded like you were going to like some like a specialty fruit stand that only sold like phallic looking fruits. You know, so there's bananas everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I couldn't even I, I can't even think of any more right now. Banana bands, yeah, I think you've probably... not banana bands, but food bands in general that that I like. <laughs> well, you're probably just not remembering them all. But hey dude, did you know that the Beatles were almost called the B-E-E-T-L-E-S, like beets, you know, the vegetable? Oh, yeah? No, I'm just fucking with you. Oh, I was going to say, they made the right choice. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I would assume uh, somebody posted Nashville Pussy, just to be a, a wise ass. <laughs> well, Wolverine, but what you said? You had a 
So, little uh, record news. Centric Pop Records. Pretty soon, what's the date? Is it June? June 16th? I think so, yeah. Horror Section Double Record Set, dude. Collection 1 and 2. So that's yeah, pretty... Was, pretty... What, is, what is that? Is that just collections? Single collection? It's the 7 inches. It's kind of like uh, Kill the Musicians kind of thing. But uh, for Horror Section, I think. Yeah, Collection 1 and 2, Double LP... Uh, it's saying goes up for pre-order. It's up for pre-order on, uh, By the time you listen to this, it's already up. Yeah. 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 So go and get it, man. That thing will probably, uh, go out of print before it's released. Horror section's pretty popular. Yes. And then we have a new putts record. I think it's all, they're all up for pre-order at the same time. Yeah. It's pretty cool. New putts called, uh, rise and shine. Yeah, I like the album art too. Kinda, I do like that. It's it, it kind of reminds me of the Muffs. It's like, like the that. Muffs meets Intruder with the four colors. You know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't even pick up on that. It's cool though. I like how it's kind of got like a retroy kind of look to it. Yeah, I'm excited that uh, Centric Pop's doing something. Yeah, it's cool to see them being active. You know. Yeah. Hey, I do have to mention real quick. Uh, we have some new Dummy Room merch. Almost forgot about this. Oh, yeah. New new merch. We got some can koozies. They're in. So if you... Uh, I don't even know. Like, I'll just put them up on the site, and you can buy them for a few bucks or whatever. And Or if you uh, order a t-shirt or something, then uh, I'll just throw them in there. So, yeah, can koozies. Keep your, uh, your uh, grape juice or your Dr. Pepper from sweating and getting all wet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess speaking of making you... All sweaty and wet. Maybe we should get to Bleg. <laughs> that might be the greatest introduction <laughs> transition of all time right there, dude. Totally. Nice job, man. Thanks. <laughs> let's uh, let's get him in here, dude. Let's do it. D-U-M-M-Y-R-O-O-M. Coming up next, we got a guest. We got a guest. Coming up next. Coming up next. We got a guest. We got a guest. Coming up next. All right, we're here with uh, the best-looking guy in rock and roll, Blake the Ripper. How you doing, man? I'm feeling good, man. Yeah, now that little Richard is dead, I am officially the best-looking man in show business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that uh, yeah, man. Seems like uh, these legends are kind of dropping like flies lately. Oh, I know so many gray ones, right? I, I, you know, I think a lot of people didn't realize that I got that line from Little Richard, from a very obscure Little Richard live record that I don't, I, I, most people probably aren't familiar with. And he was like, "I am the very best looking man in show business." I was like, "Oh, I got you." <laughs> I didn't know that. That's where that came from, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. That's cool. I didn't know that either. Yeah. I, I didn't. Uh, I never saw him, but I actually saw him. I never saw him perform, but I saw him at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, he was playing that night, but I just I was kind of passing through, and I had no idea he was playing. And I saw him kind of get out of a car outside, kind of walk in. He had some people around him and shit, but it was in the middle of the day, no big deal, and it, it was pretty impressive. I was like, holy shit! I couldn't believe it. I didn't. I didn't meet him or anything, but that's the only experience I had with him. Anyways, how's uh, how's how's quarantine life, Blag? Oh, you know, man, I I uh, I'm <laughs> I'm handling it. I think probably better than 
some folks, you know, I mean, it's a little weird, obviously, but I, I, uh, I, I spent so much of my life on the road and it became such an automatic thing that I'm kind of glad not to be out there. I gotcha. Yeah. So you're still in San Francisco then, right? Yeah. I'm in San Francisco where, you know, we, we were a little smarter than the rest of the country it appears to be. And, you know, <laughs> there's not a lot of sick people here and it's okay. But I mean, these next few weeks, all hell is going to break loose because everybody's hanging out again and it, it's coming. So I think everybody just has to kind of face that, uh, you know, America is now a banana republic that's so incompetent that we can't even do simple shit like medical tests for people. And we're, we're really we've really crossed that line into just being, you know, the, the, the declining really rapidly <laughs> We're we're you know, this is uh this is really a symbol of how far we've fallen and how weak we are, you know, and it's sad. Yeah, I think you're right. Totally, dude. So how does this, uh, how does the, how does the virus affect the dwarves? I mean, uh, you know, nobody can play for a while. We, we have no idea when, but I mean, you guys are always like this, uh, this wild, crazy in your face, you know, outfit. How, how are we, are you guys ever going to get back to that? You think to be able to do those kind of shows? Yeah, I mean, I think the short answer is yes, we will. You know, I mean, uh, question always is, you know, how, how in what form, what what's yeah. going to and what's it going to look like? You know, I, I think uh, it seems to me that there's going to be a lot of people kind of pushing it and trying to get on the road a little too soon, and those people are going to, you know, be confronted with a lot of venues with. 20 people in them and a lot of, you know, nights with $50 worth of merch sold and whatever. <laughs> you know, so it, it's, I don't think there's any point rushing back to it. I mean, our, our entire business is based on how many people can you stuff in a little room and have breathe all over each other. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's what my business has been for the last 35 years. So, I mean, you know, it, it's, uh, that's not coming back soon, you know. Now, you know, yeah. will Miley Cyrus be able to do a big gig at the Greek theater or something? <laughs> I don't know, you know. But for me, it's it's really like, you know, and I have mixed feelings about it because I've I've probably played a thousand shows in my life, so that's a lot of shows and that's a lot of time. I mean, I gave my central nervous system to this, and so I don't want to feel like I have to be on the road every minute till I drop dead. You know, it's like all right. Fuck it, you know. Um, I, I feel very badly for young bands. Um, I, I, they're not getting the chance that I got, and it, it really uh, I feel for them, you know. Uh, but as far as it affects somebody like the dwarves, you know, I would say less than most people, you know, because we're not really part of the mainstream music biz. And, you know, yes, we won't be out there touring the way that we did, but, you know, we're, we're, we're legends, you know, so you can go back and listen to the 12 records we already made and, and yeah. look at video of the thousand shows we played and get your own idea. You know, it, uh, I don't know how important it is artistically to go out and play a show again, or, you know. Yeah, so do you think that maybe this will like turn the music business back around to where like people are more interested in records again because that's the way you're going to get your music? You know what I mean? Like if there's no such thing as live shows ever again, like live shows are extinct, you know, hypothetically. 
you know, that's an interesting idea. I mean, I, I, it, the thing is, it, it probably won't manifest itself in terms of records, right? It'll just be more downloads or streams. Right. Yeah. yeah. But you know what um, I mean. You know, for the most part, records haven't been very important for a while either. Yeah. <laughs> so I think long story short, the, the internet age basically made for an explosion of mediocre music, you know, because mm-hmm. every idiot can make a record. You don't even need anybody to say, I'm giving you money. You don't even need anybody to say, I'm going to record you. So there's just all these half-assed bedroom records. And it's been very hard to sort of work your way through it and figure out what's good for a long time. So I think there will be an acceleration of that. You know, and there's an argument that that's how music should be. It should just be everybody in their room doing their thing, you know? I mean, you know. So I I, I don't know. It's a good question, and it's early to say. I mean, I think stuff that's good always rises uh, on some level. But the question is, you know, does it, you know, does it have the benefit of all that marketing and all that bullshit? You know, I think a lot of that structure that the record business used to have has atrophied. It's just not there anymore. And when I started making records and you went to a label, there was a publicist. The publicist knew a bunch of people. The publicist made phone calls and said your name and said, hey, you know, if you want these guys, I think I think you might like these guys. Or, hey, you know, I'll, I'll give you the exclusive on these guys if you'll do something on these guys. You know, mm-hmm. that a long time ago and publicists became like somebody who sends out a mass email and hopes. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the positions in the record industry became that way. They, they don't people don't even attempt to do anything. You know, it's like, hey, we're the art department. Okay, you're gonna make some art? No, we just we'll do some layout if you got the art. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're the, a, a lot of these jobs have been redefined to nothing. So it's it's like the record business kind of deserves to die because it, it does it, because it keeps such a huge amount of the income and the ownership of things and gives so little to the people who create it. True. So really, if that entire business dies, I'm fine with it. I hope it it yeah. deserves. It. I'll kill it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, you've had some run-ins, especially with sub pop and whatnot. So you can you know the dirty side of labels for sure. Well, I mean, you know, there are people at labels who specifically do dirty, shitty things. Yes, and and. That's one side of the music industry. But I think what most people don't understand is that it's sort of like the game is so rigged from the beginning that even the most honest, scrupulous, kind record owner is still ruthlessly exploiting artists because (laughs) there's so little that makes any sense about it. I think if people... I don't want to go into a huge disquisition about how the music industry works, but it's like, I think if people understood that musicians don't own their own records in the same way that if a painter makes a painting, he owns the painting, but then a musician makes a record and they don't own their record. And and I think if people really understood how monumentally unfair it is and how much different it is from everything else, I mean, if you write a book, then you own your book. If you take a photo, then you own your photo. If you write a poem and there's no music behind it, you know, you, you own that poem, okay? Right. I mean, but if you want to do a recording studio and make a record for a record company, even though they're spending next to nothing, and maybe they've only paid for the studio time, or maybe they even bartered for it, <laughs> they still then own your record in perpetuity forever. 
Well, you it depends don't own on the deal you signed, it, right? So, I mean, that, the, the music industry is just, it was conceived in an unfair way. It was conceived in a fucked up way that's not right. And so if that entire model takes a shit, great. Yeah. Well, I, I think agree. that you know, like on a like on a lower level, like like a like a label like Nate's label, Hey Pizza. I mean, the, the bands that put records on there, it's not like he's he's keeping the masters. You know what I mean? Are you Nate? Do you own my record, dude? <laughs> I I own you for a long time. No, no. Yeah, it so, depends no, I just... how you define keeping the masters, and it depends what happens. I mean, look. Nobody at Sub Pop thought Nirvana was going to be huge. That was just another band they gave five or ten grand to to make a record. Yeah. When it got huge, all of a sudden there was an issue about who owns what and what what it is. <laughs> yeah. So if your little label has a song that by some weird fluke gets into a big movie and it becomes synonymous with, you know, what Uma Thurman did at this particular moment. Yeah. All of a sudden, that thing has tremendous value, and then you guys would find your relationship tested. Because the guy who owns the record label would have to look at the artist and say, I'm giving you all of this money. Or the artist has to look at the at the guy from the record label and say, wow, well, I'll cut you in for some of this money. You know, And that that's very rare. It, uh, it's sad to say. Right. It would be nice if people operated that way, but they don't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least for Nate and myself, we probably don't have much to worry about. I don't see any hits coming, you know, anytime soon. <laughs> you know, but yeah. So now that the dwarves are all, you guys are in quarantine. You've been writing some new shit, or what, dude? Well, I got uh, a solo record written, and that's really what nice. I was working on anyway. Um, and it's more, it's much more sort of humor, comedy based stuff i mean it's all music but it's like you know humor so i have to kind of find a different approach you know making a dwarves record is a particular very specific thing that i know how to do and making this record is going to be a little different so i mean I, it's a challenge you know it's but i wanted to get my humorous stuff out there so cool and that's a great transition to bring us to one of the things we wanted to talk to you about tonight and that's uh the dwarves are young and good looking now, at the time, this started as just like a solo record for you, right? It basically, I mean, when the Dwarves uh, left uh, sub, sub Pop, it was very difficult to find a deal or get anybody to work with us. They, they had really, um, things had gone very strangely there. And so I said, well, shit, you know, maybe I'll just do it under my name. And I made an EP called Venus with Arms under the name Black Dahlia. This following program is dedicated to the city and the people of San Francisco. Everywhere that we go, everybody knows, you only can trust us as far as you can grow. Everywhere that we go, yeah, everybody knows what they know, what they know, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, we do. All right, now let's go. 
sort of the blueprint of what the next Dwarves album became. And by the time Young and Good Looking was done, which was done without record labels, I, I just re- did it myself. Yeah. By the time it was done, I said, you know what? I don't feel like going out and trying to break in a new brand name and get a bunch of $50 gigs and whatever. I, I'm just going to call this the Dwarves and, you know, we'll go that way. So, you know, yeah, Young and Good Looking really did kind of start as a solo album of mine, but um, I put out a solo EP, and the world didn't seem to care, so I said, fuck it, and I just made it a, a dwarf record. You know, I went, re-recorded some of that stuff and made the record you know now as, as Young and Good Looking. Dwarves are young and good looking. Did you, um, you know, that, that early to mid nineties, uh, green day offspring punk explosion, uh, when you guys did young and good looking, uh, right after all of that, you know, 96, was it easier to, to find a label? Was there that there must've been a lot more doors open? Absolutely. There was a lot more money floating around the music business in general. Yeah. Yes. Green day hitting was the was the green light for everything. I mean, suddenly you were hearing, you know, pop punk on the radio. And um, yes, I, I think there was more money. But even having said that, I begged every punker with a label that was rich to make my record. You know, <laughs> went to Tim Armstrong and Fab Mike and Dexter Holland and, you know, Joe Sib and this guy and that guy. And everybody said no. And uh, Epitaph said no twice. <laughs> um, the third time I, I hit them up, I had finished the record. It was done. It was mastered. It was amazing. And finally they gave me a record deal. <laughs> so that, that, that just goes to prove, I mean, I don't sit around waiting for record deals ever. I, I do what I have to do to make a record. And the thing I learned from that was that I never again agreed with anybody to like take their money and go make a record because I don't want anybody telling me when the record's done. You know, I was like, I know when the record's done. I know how much money to spend on it. I know what to do. I don't need your fucking input on that. What I need is for you to now market this record. (laughs) But just the opposite happened. We made Young Good Looking. It was a great record. It came out on Recess, which is a great independent label. And, and, uh, and then it moved up to Epitaph. And then, uh, unfortunately, you know, the week I got there, uh, things just exploded around there. You know, the, the president of the company got in trouble for drugs and there was jail stuff and rehab and reorganization. <laughs> and, you know, nobody yeah. knew that he had signed me. <laughs> I mean, it was literally like I showed up, picked up my check and it was like, who are you? <laughs> you know? uh, shit, this is going to be great. You know, and <laughs> damn. Predictably, you know, that did not result in us becoming a household name. <laughs> when the when the guy that signs you to the label disappears, 
and basically leaves you on your own for the next year and a half, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's difficult to mount anything of, of any lasting value. But the one thing that they did do was put us pretty prominently featured on a punkorama comp. And so yeah. at least hardcore California punks knew who we were now, which, you know, we've been laboring around living in San Francisco for over 10 years by that point and still totally ignored in California. It was only going up to Seattle and being there when the grunge explosion took off and getting on sub pop that made people in California go and listen to us. And for the most part, it was sort of grunge fans. So they didn't really, they didn't even like us that much. You know, it really <laughs> took finally hooked up with the epitaph fat records crowd to finally get people that got us and our genre, you know? And so, yeah, it was a long, strange trip for sure. But to this day, one of the greatest records in the discography, I think. I mean, this record's yeah. pretty much perfect, dude. It's like the perfect Dwarves record. It ticks all the boxes. It has everything you want, you know? I really appreciate that, man. I mean, I, I put a tremendous amount of work into it, and it's probably the most personal one in the sense that I really wrote almost every note on it <laughs> there's a couple co-writes on there but even the co-writes are like other guys coming up with chord progressions and me just doing everything else like writing the vocal melody and the lyrics and the, everything you know so right. there was there was a little of that but for the most part it was just soup to nuts my vision so i, I really appreciated that people people love that record you know it's it's kind of uh i, I think it's the, the most popular dwarves record and 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 for me, I, I have three favorites, and it's one of my three faves. Yeah. I think you told us which ones they were the last time you were here, but I can't remember. But I do remember you saying that Everybody's Girl is your favorite Dwarves song, only because it probably made you made the, the most money. fans and money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is understandable. Yeah, well, I, I like it for that reason. I also <laughs> like it because... Great song. I think, I think it's a well-crafted pop-punk song. I think if you... Hell yeah, it is. You, if you understand that genre, it, it ticks. You know, you talk about ticking boxes. There's a lot of times where people are lazy with their songs. But with that song, like, not only do you get a strong song and a strong catchphrase, you also get a riff, which most pop punk songs don't have at all. Yeah. And you get a bridge, which most pop punk songs don't seem to bother. True. So you really get a lot out of that song and, and even a little outro, you know, and then yeah. you get... In terms of the actual execution, having Spike Slauson from me first in the Gimme Gimme's, you know, he his voice adds so much to that. All those background vocals are Spike, and he's he's just in a class by himself when it comes to brilliant uh, background vocals and stuff like that. So it, it was, uh, and that that was the record where I, I met Eric Valentine, who of course went on to be an enormous producer and make you know, pop mainstream hits and, you know, so he had such a good ear. It was really a great combination of, of people on that record. You know, it's, it was, uh, um, it was just a magical thing that had no support, like no lawyer, no manager, no money from anybody else, no contract, no record label, you know, just nothing. Like I made that. It's incredible, dude. She's all alone and he needs somebody there 
remember when this one came out number one the production was like the best the anything i've ever heard you guys do at the time you know what i mean production wise but then the, it was crazy because Definitely. like not only did that punkorama turn all these kids that I, I taught guitar and bass at the time so all these kids were like bringing in everybody's girl to have me teach it to them i told you that last time but anyways it was crazy because that record not only were like punkers into it like most of my friends but also like I could play that, and some of my friends that were more in like metal dudes, they loved that shit too. It was crazy. Well, yeah, because the element that got introduced on Young Good Looking that was different than the other Doors records was um, adding Holy Smokes on guitar. And he, you know, so if you take a song like Everybody's Girl, you know, traditionally in the Doors, it would have been strummed like the Ramones did. That's the he who thing, right? Yeah. So it just would have been those chords strummed. When, when you introduce the element of Holy Smokes, He's the element in there that's going, and that made it acceptable to heavy metal people. They need that kind of guitar. And to me, it gave it a polyrhythm that it lacked before that. And so it gave it a new dimension, you know, and, and, um, so, uh, yeah, that that was the new Dwarves element that was introduced, and every Dwarves record since then has had that kind of guitar on it. 
which is probably part of the reason why you've got those people with the dwarves who only like blood guts in that era and are like, fuck all the pop stuff or whatever, <laughs> you know, be, because of the production of it and because of the addition of that heavy metal guitar, which doesn't yeah. work for some people. But I love it. It works great for me. I, I yeah. think it gives a, a real power to to songs and and um, so yeah, that that was the uh, you know I'm glad to hear that. You know, it, it, there was a lot there to like. You know, and it, and it and finally the reason I love that song is because uh, it really grew from my friend uh, Jimmy Ellison from Material Issue. You know, he. He said to me, you know, man, you, you should do a song with girls' names in it. Yeah. And and I don't know if you remember Material Issue, but they were a cool uh, pop band before pop punk. And they, uh, you know, there wasn't much of a punk element to them. They were really, they, had, they invented that phrase, international pop overthrow. And they were like a Chicago, they just called themselves a pop band. There was no punk about it. And they, um, but to me, they were just a rock and roll band. And I, I, I like Jimmy and, and. And they had had hit songs like uh, Valerie Loves Me and Renee right. Remains the Same. And so he said to me, well, you should do a song with a girl's name. And I was like, dude, that's your gimmick, man. I'm just That's a <laughs> fucking dumb idea, you know. And two <laughs> weeks later, I wrote Everybody's Girl with a bunch of girls' names in it. And I right. called them up. And I was like, dude, you were totally right. This is the best song I ever wrote. <laughs> um, you know, within the year, he had committed suicide and was gone. So... It was uh, very bittersweet that that really did turn out to be my best song, you know. Yeah. But at least you got fat, you know, that's killer. And everyone loves that song. He was a great guy. And and, uh, and that Material Issue record and some of their other ones are uh, very cool stuff. I, I would send people back that way and take a look, you know. Another great hook in that Everybody's Girl is the classic line that usually a girl in the audience will probably sing, you know, usually hand the mic to someone for the ooh, you're creepy part. And then <laughs> that's like a huge hook. And then it's kind of trails off with that kind of like devil in disguise type of feel. Right. You know? I, I got that off the answering machine. Um, I guess I had left a message on a girl's machine that she felt was a little gross or whatever. <laughs> called back like, ew, you're creepy. That's hilarious. And I was, I have to use this, you know. So. <laughs> That's great. So you want to, can we maybe just run down some of these tracks and you kind of give us the stories of each tune? Is that possible? Sure. So it starts off with Unrepentant. I love the fade-in thing, you know. That's so cool. Great way to start a record. <laughs> yeah, it actually starts with Holy Smoke's dog barking. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, it, he, was, he was in the room, you know, he'd, he'd run into the vocal booth and started barking. <laughs> Which infuriated the uh, the the engineer, but it, it was uh, made for kind of a funny effect, you know, as we faded up on it. Um, you know, for Doors fans, that is just the intro from the song Blag the Ripper off Thank Heaven for Little Girls. Right. So what I was trying to do there was kind of give you the slow rolling intro to kind of bring you in, but also to kind of say, okay, the Doors are back. You know, and, yeah. and specifically, I'm back, Black the Ripper. And so it, it, this is my theme again, in case you forgot, you know. Yeah. Um, mo but most people aren't familiar with that song, so they only know it as the intro to Unrepent. I just thought it was cool how you guys faded it in. Yeah, it's an old trick to get people to turn the volume on. Yeah, that is a great idea. I didn't think about it like that. Yeah, if you start a record at a fade up, and they'll turn the knob up like, hey, this isn't, wait, this isn't loud enough. 
<laughs> and then all of a sudden when it kicks in, it's like, boom, takes your fucking head off. Totally. And especially when Unrepentant kicks in, right? I mean, that's just right out the gate. You guys are off to the races, you know? Yeah, and that one sort of came about because uh, I had, like I said, I had spoken to uh, to Brett um, at Epitaph, and he had said, you know, I like what I'm hearing, you know, send me some more, whatever. So I said, okay, and I went and listened to some Bad Religion songs, and I'm like, okay, what is this guy going to like, you know? But then it was like... <laughs> Uh, um, I, and then I, I, I wrote that song, you know, and, and, it, and again, like, even if you really go listen to Bad Religion, they would never do a beat that was like, that extra pause, yeah, yeah. No. but it, it, it had that quality, you know, there isn't any other way, you know, it was supposed, it was supposed <laughs> to be like a take off on that, that, that Bad Religion, like, very serious, oh, here we come, and it's like, oh, you know. So it, it's you know, sort of like, okay, this guy looks like he might actually sign this record. I, I should come up with some shit that he's really going to respond to. <laughs> oh, that's great. The lyrics, though, man, oh, man, I love some of these lines. Especially the part where you're just like, just shut your fucking mouth if I would be so bold or whatever. It's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the uh, you know, Paul Simon, I am just a poor boy and my story seldom told, right? Right. And then, and then the answer is, well, except by me. So shut your fucking mouth. Yeah, if I might be so bold. Yeah, I mean, it's basically, you know, that's that's part of the essence of the dwarves is sort of having a sense of humor and being very egotistical about your band. You know, so I, I don't take that shit seriously, and I don't walk down the street expecting everybody to worship me and under, understand me or have heard of me or whatever. But when I've got the mic and when my band's playing, I'm going to tell you the Doors are the greatest fucking band ever. Rock legends. Yeah. Rock legends. And and I think, too, that was something that I hope resonated with people, which was that I was very influenced by hip-hop music. And, and you know, the, the basic go-to thing in hip-hop is to talk about yourself and talk about how cool you are, you know? Yeah. And, and and in pop punk, it was all like, oh, my girlfriend left me and whatever. Like, you weren't, <laughs> you weren't supposed to be able to ever say, like, no, oh, I'm pretty cool. No, oh, I'm, you know, I'm this guy. I, I do this. You know, this is what we're about. Uh, you know, there was always this sense of like, oh, no, you know, don't don't talk about yourself. That's not classy, you know. So I was like, no, fuck, fuck that. You know, shut up. I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> Braggadocious flags, the mostest. <laughs> I always dug that about you, like live especially, you know. It's just cool. Yeah, and, and it's the way I feel when I'm on stage. You know, and part of it is because I believe in the material and, and that's what's been written and that's what's there. But part of it is because, you know, when you're standing there and, you know, Josh Freeze is playing a drum kit or fucking Nick Oliveri is playing a bass and, you know, Fresh Prince of Darkness is playing a guitar and he who cannot be named. They're like, I feel invincible. That's big, man. That's some some great players and some big music and it makes me feel you know invincible oh, yeah dude hey Blake, let me ask you when you guys are playing a show like a like an actual dwarf show in, in a smaller club like packed 300 people in there versus uh like a like a big like more of a metal festival that you know the crowd's 20 feet away and not everybody's there to see you guys is your attitude a little is it did you get a little bit more uh, cocky at the big festival because you just got nothing to lose and say fuck it and go for it? Well, yeah, because you know that they're not there to see you for the most part. You know that they haven't heard of you. You you want them to remember you 
you want them to be thinking about what they've seen. You know, we, we never were a big uh, a production band, so it's not like they're going to go, wow, well, that was such a great light show. <laughs> yeah. uh, it basically came down to, like, coming out, playing good, which generally you get halfway decent sound at a festival, which is good. You know, you're using backline, and there's relatively competent guys running it, and if, you know, as long as you don't have to go first or whatever, you know, you generally can get a pretty decent sound out there. So it's like, I mean, they're not turning you as loud as the headliners are going to be, but it's it's pretty good. And, you know, so my feeling is like, hey, we come out and kick ass. I mean, look, most people don't go to shows and respond to what is good or what they like. What people do is they consume. So it's like, you know, the Foo Fighters are headlining this festival. I love the Foo Fighters. I bought a ticket for the Foo Fighters, and that's who I've come to see. And whatever the dwarves do at three in the afternoon is you're basically your attitude's gonna be, oh, I never heard of that. I don't care about that. That doesn't sound like the Foo Fighters and who cares? So so what I have to do is win you over. I gotta win you over with my music, but I also have to give you that sense of like, hey man, there's something to look at here. Don't, you know, get get away from the porta potty and the fucking beer can. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm I might have gotten fat, but I'm still hungry. You know, when I go out to play, I want I want people to respond. You know, so that and that's a problem with festivals. Often they didn't come to see you, and they're not responding, and so you you got to grab them by the throat as much as you can and you know, try and make it happen. Yeah, and it is you know a totally different animal trying to you know to a crowd like that versus you know in a club you're playing to 300 people that are there to see you, know every word to every song, or totally into it. But then at the festival, like you said, you're trying to win people over, and it's cool. like, man, those people, anyone that's there to see the Foo Fighters, I think that shit's so middle of the road that any of their fans could not even comprehend something like the Dwarves, much less at 3 o'clock in the fucking afternoon, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, on a pure level, I find it silly, I, I don't like rock and roll during the day. I don't like big gaps between the stage and the thing. I, I, I don't like big shows in general. I never go to them. Uh, every once in a while, a friend, you know, uh, uh, invites me to one. And sure, you know, if I can go backstage and sit with, you know, Devo or Nine Inch Nails or something, then yeah, okay. Totally. I'll go. But I mean, I, I, get, I get nothing out of that experience as a fan. But as a performer, it's sort of a validating thing because it's like I've been sitting in clubs with 300 people since the 80s, you know, so it, 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 I love it and I do it and it feels like rock and roll to me. But when then when I get on the stage in front of thousands of people, I feel like I deserve this. I work for this. I, this is it's time for this, you know, so I'll go either way. You know? Yeah. Well, it's good. You know, if you're in a band, you, you want to play more and more people. Right. So I get it. But um, where do we leave off on the young and good looking? Uh, we must have blood. Ooh, we must have blood. Straight banger. Blood, must have blood. We must have everything we need to stay alive, and it will be 
Yeah, so that one, uh, definitely one of my all-time favorite Dwarf songs. And again, I think it, it has a completeness to it because it's got a very strong chorus and a very strong pre-chorus. Originally, the I, I had originally written that it's not that I don't love you, it's just that I don't care. Right. I, I tried to make a song out of that. And I wasn't having any luck with it. So when I came up with We Must Have Blood, I remembered that phrase and I thought, oh, that would make a good pre-chorus. Yeah. You know, it's not that we don't love you, it's just that we don't care, you know, when we're coming down, beware. And then you hit that chorus, yeah. We Must Have Blood. It's, it's such a strong chorus. And, and uh, to me, I had a bigger vision for that one. I wanted it a little more heavy metal or something. I, I didn't quite attain what I wanted to with that, but I think we made something great with it. And... Uh, I, I love the lyrics to it. And again, like it's a song, it's uh, it's about, you know, roadkill, mosquitoes, you know? Yeah. I, I had spent a lot of time on the road by then. You know, you're driving and you see dead animals by the side of the road and there's mosquitoes there buzzing around sucking their blood, you know? Right. So, so, so sort of like, you know... Um, you know, put it's sort of a flies eye perspective of it. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're an army and we must, we're gonna have your blood and we don't care about yeah. you one way or the other. We just, you know. <laughs> right. I I totally thought that opening line, bodies litter the highway was like you driving and just knocking people down. Well, right. That's what it's meant to fly. <laughs> you know, that's a, yeah. a good line gives you all that, right? But it but to me it, it was like I was looking out the window of the van, and there's a bunch of corpses. And it's like, oh, bodies litter the highway. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's why lyrics are so cool because you yeah. you you make something out of something else, and then it means something different. You yeah, know? this is great, man. I love these breaking these songs down and finding out shit that we would never have known otherwise. So cool. Well, about uh, had to be I will deny. I will deny. That's like another dwarves hit. You know, I noticed one thing about this record, man. You play a lot of these songs live still. That, that speaks oh, about, yeah. you know, how great this album really is. Well, the cool thing about being in a band that has one and two minute songs is that you can play a lot of your faves from every record. True. I mean, I'll come out and do four <laughs> or five songs from this record, and it's still only 10 minutes of your night. Yeah. So then I got, I got three, four songs on every record that are good. Yeah, you know, totally. that's, that's to me the thing I'm proudest about with the Doors. I mean, most most bands who made a great record around the time we made this one have never made another great record again. You know, I made six, seven more in the, in the interim between. And, I, and and if you you can play We Must Have Blood at a Dwarf show and then immediately play a new song and it's not... Like, you know how you go to concerts and people like the old stuff, so they applaud and they love it and then they have to kind of sit through the band's new shit and they yeah. just... Uh, <laughs> totally. With the Dwarf, like... That never happens. Everything feels like it's part of a piece, you know? Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I, I do a couple songs from Blood Guts and a couple songs from Young and Looking and a couple songs from Invented and Take Back the Night. And before you know it, you, you got a whole set, you know? So, we're at a, I Will Deny. This one has such a great, like, seven inch cover with the, with the girl, with the other girl behind her, you know what I mean? So cool. <laughs> oh right yeah i think that came out on reptilian i think it um, did yeah i can't remember yeah, chris x he was a great great guy he still is but he uh had a label there in uh, baltimore at the time um the 
that song, you know, obviously it has that classic Nick Oliveri bass. Dum, 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 dum. I mean, yeah. nobody play a commanding riff like that guy. It's unbelievable. Yes. And then uh, the uh, Holy Smokes did the chords to that one. Uh, and again, that was that period. It was, you know, I think I had played the Epitaph people uh, the songs I was really hot on, which was like Everybody's Girl, One Time Only, You Gotta Burn. And I was getting some encouragement. So I wrote We Must Have Blood. And then we were, or I mean, I wrote Unrepentant, you know, because it was kind of weirdly bad religion y to me. But but um, I said to Holy Smokes, you know, play, play something that's like a pop punk chord progression. And he just came up with those chords. So then I made the song. And, and, and of course, the breakdown in that one, nobody loves me, nobody cares. I mean, everybody sings along on that. Yeah. That's going to be probably the most known line by the dwarves. You know, it is, just, yeah. Because it's fun for people to say. You know, every, it, it's something that a three year old says Nobody loves me, you know, nobody <laughs> cares, you know. And Cordeshead had, had a huge hit. You know, nobody loves me, it's true. You know, it's like that that line, nobody loves me, is, is just something people like to say. So, uh, that yeah, that's a good song. It's very hardcore and it pushes yeah, it forward. It doesn't sound pop, and yet when you really listen to it, it's got a lot of pop overtones and that nice bridge, you know. So yeah. it's uh, um, I don't know. It's yeah, that's a that's a strong one and a, a co-write and uh, and then Nick's bass riff. I mean, I feel like the band kind of came together on that. It was very cool. It's definitely one of your anthems. I mean, not only did people like to say the the part previously talked about, but people love to say "fuck the world." You know what I'm saying? It's just one of those phrases. That... Yeah. So that came from I had a roommate whose girlfriend broke up with him, and he actually graffitied on his door "fuck the world." I will deny <laughs> you. It was that whole phrase. <laughs> wow. And, and of course, I'd heard the phrase "fuck the world" a million times, but sure. never "I will deny you." And yeah. I just said, I have to write a song with this complete phrase because it's so. Again, it's just so, you know, the Doors are a very childish band. And so if uh, someone breaks up with you, what's the first thing you think? Well, fuck, fuck you. I'll, I'll deny you. you know, so. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you were like, kind of into bleeding the Nazarene on this record, huh? Because it's mentioned in this one. I think it's in the Unrepentant too, right? Lyrically? Um, Unrepentant has like, yeah, bleed the Nazarene, destroy the world. Uh, bleed the Nazarene, I think... Um, uh, and then the other one has, I, I killed the Nazarene <laughs> late, l later in the record. I, remember I, uh, uh, I refer to myself as the man from Galilee. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had a very Catholic upbringing as you can probably tell. So I, I uh, <laughs> internalized a lot of those biblical phrases. Yeah. I can tell you, I had one of your, sh that shirt that just had like the skull and crossbones up, like just a smaller one up on the like upper left or whatever but on the back it said uh you know teach your children to worship satan and um uh, just happened to be wearing it and we were out just fucking around and this girl i knew worked at this movie theater and we used to, we went up there to see her and she's like you guys want to go just go watch a movie so anyway anyways long story short we went and watched that jesus movie where he's getting like just the passion of the christ or whatever yeah and uh so we're walking out and i didn't didn't even think about the fact that I'm wearing this dwarves t-shirt <laughs> and these like hardcore Christians are like crying and stuff. 
<laughs> and they cause like this big scene and we're like, we're going to pray for you and all this stuff. I'm like, what? And then it dawned on me. I was wearing my fucking teacher kids of worship's fucking Satan t-shirt. And they were it, really offended. I mean, they, they sit through a homoerotic S&M movie <laughs> about, the, about the whipping and murdering of a, of a kind and righteous man. And that's fine. Yeah. But your t-shirt was just, <laughs> they couldn't handle it. Yeah. Dude, they were like trying to like s- encircle me with prayer and all this shit. It was crazy. So thanks for that yeah, one, Blag. And that's kind of part of the dwarf thing was that we would, you know, it's a very small attention span world. So, you know, with the dwarves, it's like, you know, little things that you didn't even notice that you're not even thinking about can really freak other people out. The t shirt, you know, that the, you know, people have. Something like they I wore that shirt for three years before I realized it was a bunch of dicks through the skull, you know, like <laughs> you know, and like totally. or like you know, and your your record came on when I was at work, man. I had a lot of explaining to do, you know, whatever it is. And I was like, yeah. hey, <laughs> we're a rock and roll band. I understand that everyone else is watered down and pussy and whatever, but we're not. <laughs> totally. And so, it, as soon as you play around with me, you might have weird shit with your loved ones and your friends and your whatever because that's how it goes you know you, you great. put on that shirt you put on that record you, you know you hey. take those chances <laughs> that's it <laughs> all right so up next dude we got another one to me that should have been a radio hit if maybe you know you might have had to censor some of the lyrics or something but dude yeah. this song is fucking gold man <laughs> talking about demonica Like a miracle in chains and clearer still Stand a woman of my dream I'm just 13 OPP radical My sweet demonica That devil's in her jeans Our demonica Our demonica My sweet demonica Was all I wanted for the other one where holy smokes did the chords and of course he plays some great surf guitar on that song yeah he, he always had a great surf guitar touch and he uses it to great effect in that one yeah totally i did you know the the lyrics and the vocal melody and and that one you know 
Demonica, I think, is one of the most popular ones from the record because a lot of girls seem to have that handle online. I'm always totally, seeing dude. girls at Demonica. And, you know, it might Especially just be like fun. in MySpace days, dude. It was everywhere. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think when people hit me up and they have that name, it's pretty obvious that they got it from me. But yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a, I'm I'm proud of that one. I think it's a very catchy, poppy song, and it's a love song. I mean, you don't get the impression that the guy is trying to use this woman or destroy this woman or hurt this woman. It's a it's a it's a love call, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like a like a condensed version of that fucking old Lolita story, you know, like Nabokov or whatever. Exactly. You know, but I mean, at the end, he the guy is fucked, right? I mean, he's he's in the he's in jail yeah, or something, right? Again, you know, I hear the sirens call as a pun. You yeah, know, the, obviously, the Odyssey with the sirens yeah. saying blah blah, but it's also like, hey, we killed your parents, and now the cops are coming. <laughs> yeah, and, I'm fucked, you know, so. and if ever I yeah, go free, you know what I mean? So, right, yeah. So that that I'm pretty proud of that one too. I mean, that was a that's a good one. Yeah, dude, <laughs> classic. <laughs> That's what I love about your songs. You have a way of telling these stories within the lyrics. You know, it's like I have these little movies that play out in my head to all of these songs. It's pretty cool. Oh, it's great. Yeah, that's how that's how it should be. This is Joe Queer from the Infamous Queers. We cover Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Breakdown, Honky Tonk, Women by the Stones. We do a really amazing version of Hot-Blooded by Foreigner. That's kind of a hit. But we're not playing too much. The guitar player got busted for pot, so he's on probation. Actually, the drummer is too. And you're listening to The Dummy Room. We kind of touched on Everybody's Girl, but if you got anything else, man, it's one of the all-time greatest dwarf songs ever. Yeah, no, we talked. I think we talked a lot on that one. I mean, I, I, I would say, you know, kids, if you want to write a pop punk song, that's a pretty good one to do a takeoff on because you you can't really go wrong. It's got, it's got a strong verse. It's got a strong pre-chorus. It's got a great hook. It's got a bridge. It's got a little, you know, ending. I mean, it's you know, I guess all I would say to people is, you know, don't be fucking lazy with your songwriting. I hear so many songs where it's just like. I got a verse, I got a chorus, I'm done. You know, it's like, come on, man. You know? Right. It also has kind of that surfy guitar in the middle there a little bit. Yeah, the 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 uh, the, the bridge in there. I'm spending Cinco de Mayo with yeah. my Marie and that whole thing. You would be amazed how many women were like, oh, you were talking about me and that. Like, girls that I knew came back <laughs> and were like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know you liked me until I heard that. It's like, uh, yeah. There's 20 chicks I know named Jenny, you know, and <laughs> fucking break. And a lot of girls wanted to be the one that was in that one. I totally. thought that was pretty It's great. What's next on there? Uh, well, this is a song that I, I actually listened to yesterday, and I was like, God damn, this fits, this fits our life right now. Uh, throw that world away. Oh, right. Yeah, so that, that's sort of the obligatory hardcore filler song. <laughs> I mean, you know, I like hardcore and I always have. I just don't like to listen to it for long periods of time. It bores me, you know, but I but it but I find it works as a great kind of palate cleanser between poppier songs. It really makes me feel good when I listen to a record and I hear something like Everybody's Girl and then it goes into something hardcore like that. 
And I think, too, for our shows, I love inserting little bits of that in there because it's kind of the the hardcore in between the sort of popular high points, you know. It's kind of like, uh, Jody, that's kind of like what Joe Queer told us. Remember, we were like, just just write an album of just all the pop songs that we love. Yeah. And Joe said it'd be boring. It would get boring after, you know, a few songs in a row that all sound the same. Yeah. I mean, you, you it's part of why we're talking about this record now is because it, there's a lot of variation in there. You know, it, it a lot of different things happen on this record. And, and, mm-hmm. and you sort of need them all for it to work as a whole, you know. There's little variation on Throw That World Away, which was on a Recess Records compilation. Uh, And it also, I mean, there was, people who are fanatical on this record probably know that it was reprinted a few years ago by by Recess and then Berger as... Mm -hmm. Uh, younger and even better younger, looking even better looking and so it, it, a lot of like the whole Blag EP is on there and, li- and like a whole live performance of a lot of these songs on a, uh, live on the radio so it sounds good And but there's also like a bunch of B-sides and that uh, th- Throw That Girl Away which is just different lyrics on the same instrumental appeared on a Recess Records comp <laughs> so hunt that one up what do you say it's like I'll push the button on a sudden careless whim and spin eternity and, and a universal what? I never could pick that out. Quim. Quim? Yeah, so quim is like, you know, your pussy, you know, your quim. <laughs> spin an eternity and universal quim. Yeah. Like the un- the universal whim. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. I never knew that. I always just kind of, I don't know what I thought you said. Quim. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the only song that uses that word, probably that anyone yeah. could think of. That's cool. I, I, you know, I love to. That's another thing for me with the dwarves is like throwing highbrow things in. Totally, because we're a lowbrow band that I love to like quote the Bible or quote Shakespeare or quote or do different things that confuse people about it or use exotic words and you know different things like that. That's cool. Universal quim. Like one that I always liked is in the song Let's Just Get High and Fuck Some Sluts, which is a much later song. Yeah. You know, the, really, you know, for a punk band, I mean, it should be let's just get high and fuck some sluts, do what we want, not what we must, right? right. But mm-hmm. in our version, it's do what we will, not not, not what we must. Now, <laughs> why do you use do what you will instead of do what you want? Well, like Crowley or something. Panic influence with yeah. Crowley. Do do what thou wilt, right? So right. You, you, always, always taking these lyrics and putting a lot more into them has always been really important to me because people have always trivialized my band and my music and my lyrics as just being, oh, you're just trying to shock people, or you're just you're dumb. You only know how to say fuck, or you're this and that, you know. And it's like. It's you, you have to get past the surface level with the dwarves to understand what's happening. And almost nobody does. Right. So so it's fun to talk to you, you know, because obviously you guys sat around tweaking on this record. You know, I mean, Sean from oh, yeah. Burger told me, you know, you're young. Good looking is exactly 30 minutes long. And I go, oh, really? He goes, yeah, I know, because I would turn it on right when lunch period started. And then when it was over, I would you know, and I was like, OK, dude, like you're you're a fan. <laughs> you know, like you, you know, some people you know are are your fans and get get it. You know, yeah, yeah totally. 
But yeah, so next up, though, another fucking burner. Where, where'd you come up with the beginning of the Ballad of Vagmore? Where he's like, Vag? You know what I'm talking about. You skipped nothing but hits. Hits, man. Oh, we did? Nothing but hits, bitch. Oh, shit, man. My bad. I'm that's just doing this off the top of my head. That's, that's <laughs> the first song we ever did that used a drum loop. I didn't even know. I mean, I loved hip hop and I knew of the existence of drum loops, but I had never even recorded any way except on tape. And when we got into the studio there, this guy, you know, we recorded that record tape. But I was like, hey, do you have Pro Tools? He's like, yeah. I'm like, can you put it in Pro Tools that we can play with it? And he's like, yeah. you know. So <laughs> cool. this was the first time I was ever exposed to that. So then for hits, I said, you know, I had this idea for a song. The band never played it. It's just this repetitive drum thing over and over. And you just keep screaming, nothing but hits, bitch. Nothing. <laughs> you know? So we kind of, that was Eric Valentine helping me to kind of construct my first sort of looped song. That, that doesn't emanate from just a guitar part and regular songwriting, but that's kind of industrial. And, yeah. You know, and I, I uh, so yeah. That's that, cool. that was that. Sorry, I forgot. I was just doing it off the top of my head, dude. But uh, yeah, and, I like and that. And then comes Bad Moore, and of course. Yeah. What's going on with that intro? Who said that? <laughs> so, Vag, so, so Holy Smokes is in the studio, and we're about to do another take. And I've, you know, I, I've already written this song, the Ballad of Vag Moore. Everybody knows that the song is about him, and we've yeah. been practicing it. And so at the beginning, Holy Smokes goes Vag, you know, to make <laughs> yeah. sure that he's ready. Vag goes, "Yep," yeah. uh, you know, and he goes, "You ready to accept Christ as your personal savior?" And Vag was sort of in yes mode, and he goes, yeah, "Yes, sir." And then, he, and then he was like, "No, wait, no." <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Perfect. <laughs> exactly like that. You That's know, great vintage badge you know yeah. he's like he's a cool guy you know and he's got a sense of humor and he's funny but it's like but i'm satanic and it's like oh no we got you You're, you've accepted christ as your personal <laughs> gotcha <Yeah. laughs> and uh on the last dwarves record take back the night uh josh freeze the, the great session drummer and great friend of mine said, hey, man, I have a song that I wrote about you guys. <laughs> and it was this great hardcore song, but it was literally about the guys in the band. It was called Everything and Moore. Mm -hmm. So it was about Rex Everything, Nick yeah. Oliveri, and, and Vag Moore. Right. And just basically, you know, a bunch of nonsense lyrics about how insane they are and, and whatever. But Vag actually comes in. I recorded Vag doing one of his satanic ramblings and then cut it into that song. <laughs> oh, so, so that's he, him on there? <laughs> you know, yeah, cool. that's really Vag. He, he had to be on there. That's know? funny. He's, he'll always be my friend. He's a great, just a, a great guy and, and a very, um, uh, a very particular kind of person. He's not, you know, Vag is not faking. He's just very... You know, he's he's extremely influenced by these dark ideas of, you know, you know, Wiccan things and satanic things and, and you know, voodoo things. And, but he's always he's always kind of been a, a, a striver on all that stuff, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, God bless him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if if you listen to a lot of hip hop records and, and you know, it's kind of like. <laughs> rappers talk a lot of shit dude but at the end of the day for the most part even if they're in a gang you know they're 
they're just like down with the set, you know, they're not going out sticking guns in people's mouths and killing everybody. Right. right. There's certain guys in the gang who really do do that shit. Right. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's usually not the guys out there rapping. Right? right. So in the case of the dwarves, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, I'm, I'm out there saying things, but like guys like Vag and Nick, you know, we're living them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, Vag is just an inspiration to me. I wrote the song about him because I'm inspired by him. You know, he's 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 a very special person. <laughs> <laughs> Great drummer too, though, man. You know, and he's a natural drummer. He's never had any training, and he just some guys just come in and are good. You know, and you as I as I progressed and wanted to make different kinds of records, I chafed more under. You know, I needed guys like Josh Freeze and different guys that could execute a certain kind of vision. But, you know, Josh loves Vag and thinks he's brilliant because he, Josh knows, you know, there's different kinds of drummers and you got session guys that can do this and that. Guys like Vag are naturals. He, he invented that dwarf style. That's him. <laughs> you know? Vag, you ready to accept Christ as your personal savior? Yes, sir. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> Definitely a great song on the record, though. Another one that's, mm. you know, stood the test of time for certain. It's fucking great. Yeah, no, I think that one, now that I think of it, is actually uh, Rex Everything came up with those those chords. And then I came up with the vocal melody and the and the, uh, and the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, great lyrics, too, man. Like a say yeah, what you wanna. Yeah, he's low, he gets the bends. That was... <laughs> Uh, wouldn't you rather have some more <laughs> it's great i don't know bad puns are a big part of what i do <laughs> the deeper you get into it. one of my favorite beatles songs is that song because you know yeah. i mean it's kind of a nothing song but it's just one bad pun after another right <laughs> because the sky is blue it makes me cry you know? because the world is round it turns me on you know it's like yeah. really <laughs> next up one time only one of the greats man super pop yeah. dwarves you know so the first guy that brought us to seattle was a guy named danny bland who in the doors was marquis de Sade. 
and Danny has a whole history of his own, which is great. He's written a couple books, uh, in case we die, uh, very, you know, you know, he was, uh, he was another character that did some, did some drugs and some, some crazy moves. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he brought us up to Seattle for the first time, introduced us to the sub pop guys and really, you know, was tremendously, uh, instrumental in this, in this band. And, and, uh, uh, you know, years later, when Salt Peter, our great original bass player, left, uh, he came in and played bass, and that was a fairly brief period. And and um, he was around for basically Sugar Fix, and sometime during that period, uh, he, you know, again just had those chords um, for for one time only, and so I did the vocal melody and the, and the lyrics. And that one I think is one of the high points of the record. A very, uh, just like, again, in the same way that everybody's girl is sort of pop one Oh one, you know, one, one time only is definitely pop punk one Oh one. I mean, you, that's, that's a poppy melody right there. Oh, over yeah. a punk question. And, 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 you know, it was uh, lyrically about just, you know, that that concept of like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'd fuck you once, you know. So <laughs> there it is. The breakdown is, again, not a fake. It's a real message that was left to me by a woman. She, uh, very strange experience. Uh, she she pretty much raped me at a party. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she was extremely pushy. And, and uh, we had had sex a couple of times, and we liked each other. And she was hot and all that great stuff. But, you know, like I kind of walked into this party in, in Hollywood and she was just drunk off her ass and saw me and pushed me in a room and just kind of forced it on me, you know? And she called me the next day and was just like, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, because it wasn't just the sex. That's not being a bitch. That's being pretty nice, right? No, she was a bitch. She was crazy. The whole thing was crazy. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was like, I, 
I'm not going to pretend to know what actual rape victims feel like, but I know what it feels like to kind of be the girl and the like somebody pushing on you and like they're stinking of booze and you're really just not in the mood and they just like pull your fly down. No, you're going to do this, and, you know, suck you into fucking going. And but it was, <laughs> it was full on like she was crazy and then she acted crazy the rest of the night too. So I get this call a couple of days later and it was, yeah, just basically, I'm so sorry. I was such a bitch. I was hammered and I, you know, and I just thought, wow, you know, how often do you get a woman on tape apologize? I mean, you, you know, <laughs> apologize anyway, ever, you know, I, I, I severed your foot with a lawnmower. You know, why, why'd you put your foot there? I mean, it was just like, you know, how yeah. often do you really get an apology from anybody, let alone a woman that you've had sex with? So I, I had to get it. And then every time we tried to put a solo on that song, it was never satisfying for me. Again, I think it just wasn't pop as pop as I wanted it to be. So I said, well, if we can't get a great pop solo, let's just drop this. Let's just, let's just drop this answering machine message in there. I, to this day, I wish I would have turned it up a little bit. It should be a little louder, but there it is. Yeah. But on repeat listens, it's it's super clear. Everybody knows exactly what she says, you know. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I always thought that was cool how you guys were one of the only punk bands, especially at the time, that were using, like, weird audio samples and little clips and shit in the songs. I thought that was rad. We did that since the very earliest days of the band. We yeah. did that first. Our first recording was done on a tape deck in a basement for a Christmas album called The Midnight Christmas Mess. And it was recorded in 1983. This was way back when we were more like a garage psychedelic band. And we had the yeah. Morphe's organ and the, did a lot of 60s covers and stuff. And that's a whole period that the people who love the punk dwarves don't really understand that that isn't where we started. But that's because you were so into the cramps, right? That was what, Suburban Nightmare? Is that what you guys were called? Yeah, yeah. I was tremendously influenced by the cramps. But even at that, the reason I got into the cramps was because they covered some of the 60s songs I loved, specifically Primitive and Green Fuzz, which I knew from the Pebbles comps. Right. So my thing was 60s Garage. I mean, that was my thing. I was going to hardcore shows. I was checking shit out, but that didn't really touch my heart. It, it was the 60s Garage music and then Rockabilly music that I found. And I was introduced to all this by a guy. I, I was a freshman in high school. He was a senior. He turned me on to the Nuggets record. He turned me on to the Velvet Underground. I was just floored. He turned me on to, you know, then he turned me on to Eddie Cochran and Gene Vincent and all the rockabilly, and I freaked out. Two weeks later, he, he took me to, to see uh, Decline of Western Civilization. I saw it in the theater when it came out. And then, so it was like, in, in literally in one month's time, I was exposed for the first time to 60s garage music, 50s rockabilly, and you know, early 80s hardcore punk. Yes. And and so to me, they're all part of one thing. I think to most people, they're all very different. Most people that love rockabilly and have their little happy days hairdo and whatever don't like anything but that. <laughs> most people that just love, you know, fear and the germs, they, they don't like anything except that. You know, most people who only like the 60s shit, you know, I, I was just never like that. I, I saw the link between all this stuff. And uh, so that's what got me into the cramps was that they covered some 60s songs I liked and, and some rockabilly songs I liked. And then I realized, oh, this is incredible. It's an amazing synthesis of all these things. And they, they were 
yeah, inspirational to me, the cramps. And they were very important. The first time I saw them was New Year's Eve, 1984. So, wow. you know, or it might have been 1983. Was it 83? No, it was just be, it was becoming 1984 that night. Okay. Yeah, I saw them in Chicago at a place called Tuts, uh, which is not there anymore, but it, it's the Avalon Theater. Oh, right on. Oh, God, I, I got off on a big tangent there, but I, I think uh, getting back <laughs> to it, it was that, uh... well, anyway, yeah, so that's one time only. <laughs> so up next, uh, man, you got, uh, Pimp. what's Pimp? Yeah. Okay, yep. so wh where's that clip from, Blag? <laughs> World's a wonder. <Okay. laughs> that's a guy named Pimpin' Sam from Alabama. I, I Somebody had it on a record, and I heard it and loved it and recorded it, but I never had the record, and I don't know what it is. But, yeah, the guy was Pimpin' Sam from Alabama. You know, they, there's a whole form of black humor that was sort of – they touched on this in that Rudy Ray Moore movie. You know, there were a lot of, like, Rudy Ray Moore didn't necessarily make up his material. He was kind of reinterpreting things that had been around for a long time. Like, like Dolomite says some of those things, you know? Yeah. Like, World Wonder, Long Dick Bookbender. Like, people just do it in different ways, you know? Like, mm -hmm. they, but they would stack up these crazy phrases about things. Yeah. So, yeah, it comes from that. And then the song is very straightforward, kind of Ramones. Totally. Um, um, but it was based on the fact that, uh, you know, in the 80s in San Francisco, like skinheads, the, the, the kind of nasty ones would go to the bus stations and like look around for runaways getting off the bus. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, they're sort of like sneaker pimps that would pick up these chicks. Like, so, so the the you know, the bridge is like, you know, I met you at the Greyhound bus in a world of passion yeah. and lust. Like that was like a trick that guys used to use, like go to the Greyhound station and look for a girl that looks confused getting off the bus. <laughs> uh, that's great. My favorite line in that song is where you're like, don't want to be your pastor. I want to be your fucking master. That's the shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the pastor was what I used to call um, uh, a roadie of ours, a guy named Dave who uh, was in a, Later started a band called The Screaming Bloody Marys, which is you know still still around and plays sometimes. But he, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but there was this old show called Davy and Goliath, and it was the <laughs> it was like it was one of the first kind of claymation shows. There's these little clay characters, but it was like a religious show, you yeah. know. So so the, the <laughs> little doggy would say, "We should go see the pastor," you know. So I started calling this guy the pastor, and then it just kind of <laughs> entered our lexicon. You know, That's the, great. The very ending of Pimp is interesting too, because I, I don't think we executed it that well. But what it's supposed to be is, uh, "I want to be your man" by the Beatles. Right. The dun, dun, I want to be, yeah. be your man. So you know, I want to totally. be your. Pimp, dun, 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 you know, <laughs> we didn't really execute it quite properly, but that was the idea. Yeah. I kind of always thought that, but I wasn't sure if that was intentional or not. But yeah, rad. The world's a wonder, long dick book bender, all night grinder, wound finder, sheet shaker, baby maker, and money taker. Don't wanna be your teacher, don't wanna be your preacher, don't wanna be your keeper, I wanna be your pimp. Don't wanna be your lover Don't wanna be your brother Don't wanna be your mother 
next I can't uh, the crucifixion is now Ooh, it's another burner yeah so that was the only one that that i put on that record that had come from my solo the venus with arms ep and you know but we re-recorded it and i i love the sample in that one that <laughs> yeah. you know again like you know we'd just gotten exposed to pro tools for the first time on that record it's like wow you can you can take these things and repeat them over and over you know because we used to trigger sound effects with cassette decks and just kind of hope it hit the tape at the right time yeah so by the time you got to that thing it was like wow we can just repeat these and pro tools and you get that sound over and over you know it was really we couldn't believe it (laughs) yeah another one you know great lyrics of course, uh, yeah, that's a good phrase. The crucifixion is now. I, I still would stand by that phrase. I think it's a great, great phrase. Yeah, I like how it's. You love the sound of breaking skulls, or the limousine that pulls over the heads of all the people that pay to see you. <laughs> that's brutal. Right. Well, so there's a couple things there. Uh, that's a rip off of the Nick Lowe line. I love. I love the sound of breaking glass. Right. And. Um, it's, uh, you know, the farthest thing from what we were doing. I mean, don't don't forget, we were an unsuccessful rock band with very little promotion. <laughs> yeah. And then we unceremoniously kicked off a label and, and sort of shamed. So the last thing that was happening was that I was riding in a limo or that there were screaming fans. About <laughs> right. it. So it was kind of, okay. It's yeah. great. And, of course, it has the tagline from the infamous uh, shirt. Which, of course, mm-hmm. we've talked about that a little bit. Oh, teach children to worship Satan. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that song. That was why, that was the one, to me, the three kind of bad religion-y songs or kind of pop-punk songs on there are, you know, the Body of Unrepentant and then the, uh, you know, the I Will Deny is kind of the faster version of it and then the the uh, Crucifixion, that woo you know, yeah. that, that just kind of struck me as like one of those sort of California, you know, let's rally the troops sounds, you know. But it, it, every, every time you put it through the kind of Midwestern door of Stooges influence, comes out a little rougher, a little nastier. You know? Yeah. In the best way, you know. Yes. yes. Great. What's next, dude? Uh, you got to burn. Love this one, too. Yeah, so that's the end of the record. It's the slow jam that you've been waiting for. There's really no slow songs on the whole record. Then it gets to that. I think it's a great kind of that's kind of shows the cramps influence and it's a totally. it, it's it's kind of a rockabilly straightforward blues song, but because of the nature of the bass riff, it comes off a little more almost like a soul riff mm-hmm. instead of rockabilly, you know, like do no no you know, Badge keeps a brilliant beat in there and, and uh you know, again, you know, the first use of samples with us where we took his snare drum and turned it into a snap. And it was like, oh, God, it's magic, you know. 
So, uh, yeah, very proud of that song. I, I think the lyrics are deep, and I think the chorus is very catchy for a bluesy thing. Hard to make a catchy chorus in a bluesy song. And yeah. Yeah, that tune is the perfect capper to that record. And for the people that knew that the doors were good, but just don't like fast music. Right. I was like, all right, here's a slow one for you. And it, and yeah. it That's great. And then it kind of on the CD back in the day, it would kind of have the, the space and then like the Dwarves Are Young and Good Looking song would come on. Is that an actual sample from a uh, fucking, what's that Zeppelin tune? Is that that Zeppelin beat sampled? I think it was Zeppelin via the Beastie Boys. They would already used that beat. Oh, okay. That had already been used. Yeah. Uh, that's a very famous beat. I mean, I think it's, you know, whatever. I can't remember song. what the fucking song Some is called. Something famous. about the levy. Oh, the when the levy breaks. Oh, when the levy yeah, yeah, breaks. Yeah. Um, which again bears no relation to the blues or rich. I mean, I don't know if you've heard when the levy plays. I think it's one of those guys like Skip James or Charlie Pat, like first generation blues. And I, I don't see any relation between that and the Zeppelin song. I don't know why they even bothered calling it that. I, I guess they bit some lyrics from it. Yeah, I guess that's what I was going to say. Just the lyrical stuff. Yeah, but <laughs> it's a hell of a beat. I mean, Bonham yeah, is map and that beat is incredible but yeah you know it just recorded a bunch of chicks saying the doors are young and good looking and kind of played around with it and that was it you know that's cool made it out on it you know here's my next question for you though Blag. now years later we have all these extra tracks right we didn't have these back in the day and I cannot believe like a couple of these songs how do they not make the record dude you know, like, The Crucifixion is Now makes it, but The Wicked doesn't? I don't know, dude. I mean, the songs on the Black Solo record are all high-quality songs. They just weren't they weren't produced in a heavy enough way for me. Uh, I hadn't met Eric Valentine yet. Uh, that, okay. Meeting him was huge. But, it, yeah, they, should, they really should have been re-recorded. Again, if we had ever had management, a budget, uh, anybody <laughs> helping us, then they probably would have been, you know, but yeah. as it was, it was just like, Oh shit, I just put that EP out and nobody bought it. And I don't want to just re-record a bunch of songs. Right. You know, kind of, kind of like that, you know, but, uh, you know, I thought, Oh, if people want it, it's out there, they can go hear it. Right. But really all those songs deserve to be re-recorded and done in some cool way, but they, they sound good enough for what they are. Yeah. And yeah. They, you know, yeah, I stand by all the songs on my solo thing. I mean, there's only five of them. And yeah. Let's take a ride as a, a rousing kind of song and and uh good little riff in there and yeah it's great i like that yeah, the, the wicked one a lot too man i like that old great. school rock and roll feel Why? 
very catchy yeah, and it really Barry's bass skills. I mean, he carries the whole song on bass as though it's a guitar and and uh, um, yeah, you know, no no rest for the wicked. Kind of a cool phrase. I mean, I think other people had used that. I think you know, yeah. Black Sabbath, everybody had used that. But it, you know, it was uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's another good one. I think it's a strong strong jam. What else is on there? The theme from the Vice Lords, which oh, was great. I really like uh, that one. Hey, I had a question yeah. about that Come Gunnin' song. It kind of it's almost like that riff almost got recycled back on uh, that song, Like You Want. It's kind of almost the same deal. Is that, oh. Did you never notice that one? Or? Yeah, that's kind of that's true. Um, I guess what I would say is that it's simplified in Like You Want, and, yeah. and it becomes better. Didn't I didn't like that song as much, but it wasn't about the guitar riff the, the guitar riff was always cool in in uh come gunning but the problem was the the vocal melody did, doesn't really cut through in a way that i found satisfying i never was huge on that i i knew people would be interested in that and that it was part of that era and it would really work if we were fleshing out that record yeah to add that stuff i mean I, I it's a good song and for dwarves completus it's worth having but you know you start to get to the nah, i don't know about this one kind of level with that one and same with uh one where i really you know ask me why i thought ask me why I had a cool lyric and was interesting but it just it never seemed to take off you know there was certain songs just never seemed to take off and they're, they're okay but they just don't i don't know then, then, so that's what some of the extras that didn't make it to the initial record, but do make it to even better looking. Right. What's funny is that people being how they are, um, that version that's just you get the same exact record on side one and two, and then you get a whole additional record of cool shit on three and four, and dwarves completists love it, but the average fan. Just, just wanted the record, so now when I reprint it, I just reprint the record, and and those probably that double one won't come out for a while, which I think will make people value it a little more because it is a very, you know, it's not just a bunch of filler bullshit you don't want to hear. I mean, it's pretty satisfying stuff on that that yeah. other that other record, and so yeah, it's just uh, people like what they like, you know, and they want the original the way it was, you know. So okay. Right. Yeah, I think it's cool that it came out as a double record with the extra bonus materials. Plus, there's the stuff from the like live on the radio stuff is pretty good too. You know, well, yeah. So there's a great one of the better filler things we hadn't touched on was uh, surfing the intercourse barn, where I, I read a chapter <laughs> from my very confusing first novel called "Arm to the Teeth with Lipstick." Yeah. Um, I read this chapter about, you know, a fast food brothel called the Intercourse Barn. And it's all just crazy shit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we just did a surf instrumental, which was really sort of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of cool guitar from Holy Smokes on that. We just did a surf instrumental and I just read the story over it. Yeah, it's um, great. And that, uh, again, was another kind of cool departure for the Doors. We'd never done anything like that. It sort of reminded me of Velvet Underground, The Gift, where he reads a story over an instrumental. There's not really a tie-in between the two. Yeah. So I thought, I thought that was pretty cool, a cool little extra thing. And then, yeah, of course, that whole side of just live on the radio really gives you a sense of the band at that time, which was 
holy smokes wrecks everything Vajmur and me um i i'm not sure if he who is even on that performance he he might not have been around right then uh or he might have been i i can't i can't remember for sure if i went back and listened to it i could tell but i i right now memory serves I, I don't think he was there and so you really get a vision of what we were like live and the recording is okay because it was in a it's not live in a venue it was live in a in a radio station so it's uh, it's a really good version of what we were like then live so yeah i find that the extended record very satisfying but you know yeah i think it's really cool if you buy the cd you still get that you, you know i mean you still yeah. because mm -hmm. the CD, there was plenty of room and you just throw everything on yeah. but for vinyl you know it's a question of okay do you want the double album or the single people seem to like the single so it's like all right you want to have as much shit there you go <laughs> so i mean what's going to happen with the new stuff when's the next record going to be good question i mean you know we had take back the night and julio there in uh 2018 and of course now there's Nobody's together, nobody's playing, you know, so it's really hard to say. I mean, yeah. It's hard to say when people are going to get in a room together and play. So I'm going to work on making my solo album and just try and make a good, funny, listenable, humorous solo record, you know. And, and I got another book. Uh, I wrote a book called Highland Falls, uh, which is uh, the follow-up to my last book, which was called Nina. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just a book about a real nasty teenage girl and the shit that she does and um, <laughs> all kinds of wild characters and crazy stuff. And, you know, so I'm just hoping over the next couple of years to get the Highland Falls book out and my solo record out. And, you know, by then people will be playing again and, you know, see where it's at with the dwarves, you know. But we're, we're friends and everybody in the dwarves can write songs. So including the guys that haven't been around for a while. So, you know. I'll get songs from ten different guys to go make a record, so I'm I'm sure there'll be more more dwarves records, you know. Yeah, nice, cool. Uh, Jody, you want to do the questions? Yeah. So, Black, the other day I was looking for your old podcast on iTunes, dude. I couldn't find it. Is it just gone? I know. You know, I have to ask the guy who did that. I mean, probably what it, that wasn't. You're talking about a show called Radio Like You Want. No, I'm mm. talking about We Got Issues. We Got Issues. Well, let's see. I couldn't find it. I'm on. Uh, I haven't looked for radio like you want in years, but I used to dig that too. It was cool because you got to play a lot of songs, you know. Yeah, that was my music podcast. But the last time I went to look for it, I I, I couldn't find it. Um, so I'm kind of worried about that. I don't know what what the fuck happened to to radio like you want. The guy who I did it with probably just got sick of paying for the website and the show wasn't working anymore, but I'll, I'll pay for it. But if you go to wegotissues.net, see, it's not it's not .com, it's .net. So oh. just go to wegotissues.net, it's it's up there. So, I mean, have, are you still doing shows for that? Because on no. iTunes, it hasn't updated since, like, last year at this time, I think. Yeah, no, we stopped. I mean, it, we did it for a year solid, but, I mean, I did that with, you know, a prominent local DJ named No Name. No Name, yeah like the drive time DJ for the radio out here. And, and, you know, they, it, it was actually playing on commercial radio. They were playing our podcast as a broadcast on the commercial radio station here, which I was just thrilled. And I was like, fuck, 
you know, maybe we'll get something great going on this. But, you know, we worked on it hard for a year. And this guy, you know, he's a real DJ. So he was really looking for them to pick it up or fuck it. Right. So when the year was up, it was like, well, fuck it. You know, we put a lot of work into this and you're not picking it up. So forget it. Uh, but I, I just talked to no name last week and I mean, he's a, still a great guy and still very talented and really that should be on the radio. I mean, it was a really funny, good advice podcast that yeah. we did and, and, uh, and you know, it, 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 what can you say, man? I mean, it, it just, uh, uh, you know, the industry, whether it's radio or books or, you know, anything just never gave me anything <laughs> so, you know that's i had to do things independently I hear so you. get get what you get on a certain degree and, and it's uh it's a shame because i've done these great projects with really good people and you want them to go somewhere but you know well i was a, a big fan of that show and i and it was just because you were on it that brought me to it but i loved hearing your answers right and since i haven't heard it in like a year I did this thing where I put on our Facebook group that we were going to take some love line style questions and we thought we'd throw them at you and get your answers old school style. Oh, wow, I love it. Okay, cool. Hey, this is Milo from The Descendants and you're listening to The Dummy Room. We didn't have much time. I, I kind of thought of this about an hour before we got on with you, but there's a few that we could probably do. Uh, do you have that yeah. pulled up, Nate? Yeah, I do. So can we say their names? Are we saying their names? Yeah. Roger. Roger, uh, he says that he once hooked up with a girl with the same name as his mom. A little weirded out he was about the name situation. Do you think it's okay to pursue, or is that just too weird? Um, you know, this, <laughs> this is a question of degree. I mean, you know, if, 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 if her, if her name is like, you know, whatever, you know, Esmeralda Marie, and then this woman <laughs> is also Esmeralda Marie. I mean, that's pretty rare. you know. That's what this yeah, says. Cause someone asked a question and asks if it was first and last name. And then he says, yes. Oh, wow. First and last name. Okay. Well, that's. That's a little hard, um, but <laughs> uh, honestly, you know, you, this is one of those, uh, uh, you know, OCD kind of questions, man. You have to override, you have to override <laughs> what's going on in your brain, right? You, you, it doesn't matter. She's not your mom. So yes, go, go, go with her and don't worry about it. And, you know, it, obviously if you find that you're, having horrible nightmares of incest then break up with her but i i would say pursue it don't worry about it. It, it this will go away of its own accord i would also say you know come up with a little nickname for her and never use the, the name that's the same as your mom's you know yeah and never don't, call her mommy no right no <laughs> i would say i couldn't do it i get i told jody everybody knows this that i get a little weirded out about um my mom's name is Jeannie. So, uh, uh, the Screeching Weasel song, Jeannie's Got a Problem with Your Uterus, it's always been a little strange for me to listen to. <laughs> really? So, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's kind of weird. <laughs> that is a little weird. <laughs> well, take, take it from me. Your mom's uterus is just fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Black, here's one that's coming from Kelsey Weasel. 
She says, uh, so my friend mailed me a gummy dildo. He says it's a joke, but do you think it could mean something deeper? Um, <laughs> yes, it, it could absolutely <laughs> mean something deeper. You know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you. I, I, I'm certainly not willing to say, you know, no, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, <laughs> you know, people don't just send each other sex toys for nothing. It, I mean, I guess it, you know, it depends on the nature of the relationship. I mean, if the two of you guys are constantly sitting around making sexual innuendo <laughs> jokes like fucking like your 14 year old boys together, then yeah, maybe it's fine. But if it, if we're talking about standard adult people, then it's a little bit of a message if you get anything sexually themed from a woman, I think. Yeah. Well, just to clarify, Blag, this was a kind of an in-joke because uh, Kelsey's one of our listeners, and like a long time ago, Nate sent me the goddamn gummy dildo. <laughs> right. So that, right. Uh, if you send it to somebody you're not having sex with, which, I don't know, I feel the chemistry no. between the two of you, so I wouldn't <laughs> rule it out. But, um, you know, if you... If you yeah, it really comes down to the nature of the relationship. Yeah. I mean, if you guys have a very silly, goofy relationship, then maybe it was just a joke. Uh, yeah, let's but, hope. You know, my gut feeling is, you know, <laughs> sexual content. If you're wondering, then the answer is probably, yeah, she meant it that way. <laughs> uh, that's great. This guy named Rudy Cheese Rodriguez wants to know your thoughts on eating ass. Wow. He's intrigued but nervous. I guess he's thinking about doing it. Okay. So, <laughs> if you listened a lot to the show, then you know of kind of some of my obsessions yeah. and my, which were a little surprising to people. One of them definitely centers around smell. I'm extremely smell sensitive. Nothing means more to me than what a woman smells like. <laughs> so the idea of, you know, sticking your tongue up a woman's asshole where shit comes out of, <laughs> I, I fear that the smell and taste of that would not be appealing to me. I, I, you know, I imagine that there's a whole protocol to it that some people do. I mean, because porno movies will have a whole hour of nothing but ass. Like, I mean, I imagine <laughs> there's a way to disinfect it and wash it and get it just how you want it. I mean, I don't want to pardon the expression, shit on all the ass eaters out there. I mean, <laughs> like what they like. I'm sure for some people, it's the very smell and taste of it is exactly what they love. You know, it's just nasty and they're in there and whatever, you know, I'm not, not frowning on it. But for me, I have no interest in it. Um, I, I like to eat pussy and some girls have stinky ass pussies that you don't want to eat. <laughs> um, That's why you take a sniff test, dude. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and I think... There's also just sort of what you're like sexually. To me, that feels like more of a submissive thing to do. So it wouldn't make me comfortable. To me, like eating pussy is not a submissive thing. It's just the I'm pleasing you, you know. But again, there's all different aspects to this. Like um, if it makes you feel in a way that turns you on, then you should do it. To me, it, that would feel kind of submissive in a way that is not sexual to me. Whereas eating a girl's pussy feels like, oh, I'm, I'm making you feel good and this tastes the way I like and I'm I'm licking where I'm going to be fucking and this is great. 
I think if I stuck my tongue up a girl's ass, you know, there'd probably be a part of it. It's like, oh, we're being kinky. We're being erotic. You like this. We're doing this. And that, that part of it's nice. But I think the other part of it would kind of be like, what am I, a bitch now? You know, <laughs> that, that's just me. You know, I'm not saying that's normal or that's how you should do. I, I've had this discussion with a lot of people in punk rock, especially women who say, oh, guys love a finger up their ass. It's like, not this guy, you know? Right. So, and, and and I'm like, well, put put a number on it, you know? And this girl who's a buddy of mine, she goes, 50%. Damn. I said, Holy shit, you know? Um, because to me, I, I would rather, you know, slit my fucking throat <laughs> think anywhere near my fucking ass, a tongue, a fucking finger, uh, you know, anything. I mean, you know, the bottom line is do what feels good. I mean, if you're really turned on by this idea of licking this girl's ass, or if she is really thrilled at the idea to the point where it's going to get you a girlfriend or get you what you need. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't hold back from it for moral reasons i think you should think about the hygiene because shit is shit is nasty you know what i mean like yeah. people piss on each other and i find that very unappealing but but piss is <laughs> sterile like you're not going to get people in the desert have to drink their own piss you know like you can survive that you get into shit and you're talking about fucking you know e coli and fucking really nasty shit that is not meant to be in your mouth so right i man I, I handle with care <laughs> totally all right well this one uh do you see this one from jack andel there nate yeah a butt one and here's another butt one people in our group are into the ass play apparently yes jack says uh my girlfriend put something up my butt but has stopped doing so it's been about six months since it happened do I ask her to do it? Do I ask to have it done again or wait until she initiates it again? See, interesting. I mean, this all gets back into this realm of dominance, submission, what turns you on, what doesn't. Um, clearly, the fact that you're sort of wondering. He wants it again. Yeah, I mean, obviously you want it. And so what I'm wondering at is how come you're having any problem just saying, yeah, stick your finger in my ass. I love that. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what you should be saying to her. But I think, again, and again, this is where you get into the weirdness of Blag, and I could be totally wrong here. Um, to me, having a finger shoved up your ass feels very submissive, as does being afraid to say what you like and what you want to do. So I think there's a side of you that's kind of submissive guy, and you like a finger up your ass, and you kind of want her to be dominant and just do it to you instead of you asking for it. So again, you know, it's it's all sort of what's part of your part of your excitement profile. But I think definitely she did it, so obviously she's into it. You want her to do it again, so obviously you're into it. I think you should go, hey, and, you know, if you're uncomfortable speaking, man, you know, take her finger, guide it to your ass, and she'll know what you want. Probably be very turned on by it if she did it in the past, you know. I mean, if a girl stuck her finger in my ass, I'd smack her right in the face. I guarantee <laughs> So, you know. Take notes <laughs> out there, ladies, and, and if you're ever going to meet Black, you know, stay away from his ass. And you are not talking to a domestic violence guy. I have zero cases of having hit a woman or anything. But I swear to God, <laughs> I, I've had girls say to me, I want to do that to you. And I've immediately said, you know, if, if you want to get hurt, then do that. Absolutely. <laughs> so, 
you know, it sort of depends who you are. I mean, honestly, I'm kind of a vanilla person, you know, I, I maybe I would be happier and have a more interesting life if I, you know, was more into kinkier shit or even, you know, finger up the ass apparently isn't even that kinky to a lot of people, you know. What can I say? Yeah, know? studies say 50% of men dig it. <laughs> I would suspect the number is lower than that. <laughs> Me too. I mean, think about it this way. How many girls want it in the ass? Very few. In in my experience, one out of 20 chicks really loves it in her ass. And, and one out of 10 chicks is sort of willing to do it if you're really pushing it. I, I, for the most part, women don't really seem to be fans. <laughs> no. uh, and and maybe they would like, and, and of course, again, it's a question of degree. I mean, I'm a big dick guy. There's a lot of girls would be scared to have this <laughs> dick in their ass. But, you know, you stick a little finger in there and play around while you're fucking them, and maybe they like it just fine. So, I don't know, but... It, it's. I don't think that it, that. I don't think as many guys are into it, and uh, I. I don't know. But I, what I would say to the guy who wants this is, tell this woman what you want. I mean, that's sort of the essence of a good sex life. Whether you're submissive or dominant or whatever, you need to let the person know what you want, so you can get that. You know. Wise words from Black Dahlia. Listen up, folks. <laughs> yeah it's kind of funny because like people with my attitudes are so ashamed of things now you know we've kind of been trained to do that you know and i and i it's weird yeah it's it doesn't sit right with me but i understand where it came from i mean if you if you look at my profile it's like i'm i'm in all of the dominant groups you know it's like white man hetero you know it's mm -hmm. i think i've you know, had a very uh, smooth ride in all that. I mean, I'm American. I speak English. I mean, on and on. All these sort of dominant groups, and and so uh, I think rightfully so. A lot of disenfranchised groups felt like, hey, you know, we're not getting what we deserve. You know, these straight white men are taking taking up everything and not leaving us with anything. And of course, that offends my sense of fairness. You know, I mean, I think. I think, you know, we should have an inclusive and non-racist and non-sexist and non-homophobic society, you know, and it's all good. But the problem is what that has morphed into is a sort of militancy on all sides, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, these these sort of crazy pronouncements about the dominant groups, you know? Like, like it used to be like we knew what a racist was. A racist was somebody that didn't like people that were a different race than them. And at some point it turned around to being, no, a racist is a white person who doesn't like different groups. And, you know, or like, you know, a, a, um, you know, a hateful person would be, you know, if you if you if you're gay and you hate everybody who's straight, that's a hateful thing. Well, no, now it's like you're just turning the tables on the victimizers kind of thing. So it's very strange. Like shit has shit has really changed where. People with my profile have to be very careful, supposedly, about everything they say. You know, you're you're not supposed to say that getting a finger up your ass would piss you off. You know, well, I'm sorry, it, it would, and that's where I'm at. You know, so I I'm fine with people who want a finger up their ass. I wouldn't discriminate against them. I'm fine with them, but don't discriminate against me because I don't want. One, you yeah, know, exactly. That's that's kind of you know where where it sits with me. <laughs> I love the honesty, dude.
right, there's only a couple mm-hmm. left, but a couple good ones. Uh, John Seiko says, I've been married for over 10 years. However, I've been too scared to tell my wife about my fetish for Mexican left-handed albino midgets. I would like to spice <laughs> things up in the bedroom by getting either her or myself to dress up as a Mexican left-handed albino midget. Do you think I should own up to my fetish and play out my fantasies in real life or keep it to myself? I think this guy's playing a joke and he went one step too far with left hand. Yeah. I would have believed it if it wasn't for everything else, but I'm sorry, buddy. I'm not going to bother answering your stupid question. Next. <laughs> All right. Well, the next one's probably just a stupid blag. Let's see what you think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So there's this girl, and I want her skull, but it's 2020, and I don't think you can just do this kind of thing anymore without permission, or else you get me too'd. So how can I convince her to let me hack her head off and put it on my wall? <laughs> Being trolled again. <laughs> You know, something like this actually happened in Germany, didn't it? There was a guy who put an ad in the paper that he wanted to kill and eat a guy, and a dude actually showed up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and had himself killed and, and eaten. And and uh uh you know, of course it didn't didn't keep the other dude from being prosecuted. <laughs> but wow. uh you know, yeah, it's it's fucking wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean that's another fake question, but right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brian wants to know, uh, what do you do if your girlfriend doesn't love the Ramones? <laughs> boy, oh boy. <laughs> I mean, the obvious answer, you know, and it's funny because I was just talking to that. I was talking with Josh, uh, Josh Freeze on the phone or, or earlier today, and, and I related this because... I love really good musicians, you know, and I grew up with a brother that was like a jazz DJ and, and had been exposed to just amazing players and, and stuff. And I have a lot of respect for that. But at a certain point, I realized I just was not terribly talented, you know. And, and hearing the Ramones changed my life. I mean, it literally changed my life because I'd always loved music and I always wanted to do something great. And then, you know, I'd try and practice my saxophone or whatever, and it just, nothing worked out, you know. And then, then I heard their moans, and, and my life changed, you know. I, I, I owe them a tremendous, incalculable amount. I, I, I love them in a way that's hard to, hard to describe, you know. Um, they, they mean everything to me. So, you know, one part of me wants to say, fuck this bitch, you know. <laughs> totally. But, <laughs> Either that or make her like a mixed CD or something. Turn her on one way or yeah, another. Right. There's always the idea that she could come around to seeing reason or whatever. But look, I don't look at it that way at all. Here's how I look at it. I always went after girls who really didn't give a fuck about the dwarves and didn't know what was up with the dwarves. Because I figure if a girl's real into the dwarves and she likes me, maybe she's just geeking out on the band. Maybe she just likes dudes from all kinds of bands, whatever. You know, if a girl likes me and she's not into the dwarves, that means she likes me, right? Right. So it's kind of a hard thing because I've had both kind of girlfriends. I had girlfriends that I really thought liked me, but they also really loved the band and kind of got it. But you know what? I kind of am that Groucho Marx, like, I don't want to belong to a club that would have me as a member kind of shit. So, <laughs> you know, I, I would say stick with her. Good. 
So she doesn't like the Ramones. So what? You like it. You know, I mean, you know, I will guarantee you there's a bunch of shit in her iTunes that you hate. So, you know, you, you, it's the same thing with her. She's sitting there going, how come he doesn't like the new Drake song? You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, I mean, uh, and the answer of course is because you have some taste, but you know, <laughs> okay. absolutely. You know, be that as it may, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, I, I would say, you know, it probably makes more difference in terms of the dudes you want to pal around with, whether they love the Ramones like you do. I think with a, with a with a relationship, it's really a different story. Sometimes it's better when they don't like the shit that you like. Right. Mm-hmm. I've dated a couple chicks who weren't into my kind of music, and I can tell you, it makes for some long and shitty car rides, though. You know. It's like, you can't ever agree on something. <laughs> if I'm hearing my shit, she would be miserable. If she's playing her shit, I'm ready to kill myself. You know what I mean? So I think it's a little, it's sort of important. You can have some common ground. I understand that. I mean, I don't, I don't listen to music really for enjoyment, and I haven't for a very long time, and it, which is kind of sad because I spent a huge amount of my life just geeking out on records and loving them and listening to them. But I really did reach a point where, I listen in a much more dispassionate way now. You know, so when I started dating somebody who basically just liked the pop on the radio, I listened to the pop on the radio and just dissected it in my mind. Thought about what I liked, what I didn't like, what I'd change. Yeah. You know, but that's just me. Um, you know, if you're, if you're sitting around doing a lot of listening for pleasure, then yeah, that could get hard. For sure. Yes. But yeah, so this last one, dude, came in on a fucking DM on my Twitter. And just a little uh, precursor, my Twitter, I'm followed by a bunch of fucking weirdos, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so you never know what's going to hit your DMs. But I put the little message out, and this one came in. And I was like, holy shit, Black's going to really like this one. <laughs> so I'm not going to say her name, but she writes in and says, so hi, guys. My name is, I'll leave that part out, but I have a bit of an issue. I live with a colostomy bag and my current boyfriend is really into removing the bag and inserting his penis into my stoma. I looked up stoma. Uh. Stoma is the hole where the bag goes. I had to look that up. <laughs> he says, it says he wears a condom, of course, but my real question is since we've never had vaginal sex, am I still a virgin? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we're being trolled or not, but I thought it was interesting enough to go ahead and read it to you. Wow. <laughs> in the, if you get it in the ass, you're not a virgin. And as far as I'm concerned, if you suck dick, you're not a virgin. I mean, it's all sex, you right. know? So, you know, I, I don't know. I sort of have a different read on that than a lot of people. This is, sounds like a fascinating kink. And I think it, it, things like this always strike me as perfect because it's like, she has a colostomy bag and is probably very self-conscious about it. It probably makes sex very difficult with whomever. This guy has no problem with it. In fact, he's finding a way to get into it. I mean, this is the perfect example of a lid for every pot. I mean, you know, <laughs> just let this guy do whatever he wants. <laughs> is uh, My question, though, is that considered anal? Because, I mean, it's basically her ass, you know? Again, considered by the Catholic Church or considered by, you know, Just, Anthony Fauci or who are we asking who considered? Uh, you, Black Dahlia. What does Black Dahlia say? 
I, I consider anything that gets your boyfriend off to be sex. Okay. If he rubs his dick on your foot, that's sex. You know, that's it. So yes, it's sex. It's anal sex. You're not a virgin. Whatever. I don't. I don't care. And I don't know why you'd wonder about that question. You know. Maybe she's a really upstanding gal who's saving it for marriage, but she takes it in the stoma every night. <laughs> We had this crazy girl at my high school dated a friend of mine, and she, yeah, she wanted to stay a virgin, so he fucked her in the ass. I was like, it seemed ridiculous. <laughs> like, you're not a virgin. You're getting fucked. Jesus is not any happier. <laughs> I don't understand your whole thing, you know? And, you know, so I don't know. I, I'm not the guy to answer this question. I don't know if you're a virgin. I don't care if you're one. I, you know, I, I think you should treasure this boyfriend. Yeah. If he's willing to stick his dick in a hole in the other side of your body, he's a keeper. Who else is going to do that? Because that's fucking, that's a little too much, <laughs> you know. But whatever makes them happy, I suppose, you know. <laughs> but wow. yeah, that was What the, a last question, Yeah, though. that was the final question we got in the hour since we posted this thing. And uh, yeah, you didn't disappoint, Black. I felt like I was listening to your old show. It was really cool for me. Oh, uh, right on, man. Well, it's great talking to you guys. I think I've been rambling for quite a while now. I should probably go. But yeah. uh, All right, Blag. It's uh, it's great having you a second time around. Um, hopefully, you can come back. Hopefully, uh, your future's bright after the, all this uh, quarantine bullshit is over with. So, thanks, man. Yeah, I'll be sure and send me links to all this stuff, and I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks again, Blag. Hey dummies, this is Stephen Stardom and you're listening to The Dummy Room. Alright man, Blake the Ripper. Super, super fun tonight. Yeah, stoked to have him back, you know. And we got a lot of cool talk about the dwarves and a lot of other cool stuff. So man, that was fun. Yeah, I love the uh, track-by-tracks from these guys, you know, and that was cool, man. I didn't, like, you know, the answering machine thing I told you, I didn't know that was real. I figured it was fake. Yeah. So, that's cool, man. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was fun tonight. Yeah. It was super cool to get him to answer those questions like his old show, because <laughs> it totally did really feel like I was listening to that. It was great. Yeah. I used to really love that show, and it's just gone. kind of sucks. I'm happy with tonight. I yeah, it was a blast. I needed it. Yeah. But yeah, man, I guess um I gotta go though. Yeah, me too, dude. I kinda got a long night ahead of me, so Yeah, we'll be careful and uh everyone, thanks for listening so much. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the dummy room. Meet us here next week for another fun episode. Stay safe. Bye bye. Run away, keep on following the sun Oh yeah, yeah, run away now We just wanna have some fun We just wanna have some fun We only wanna have some fun We just wanna have some fun